Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. You've been on... a movie, busy week, busy a bus- week. Yeah, busy week. It's very true. Busy week. You've been on a movie binge lately. You tried to get, me, you tried to get me to see two movies yesterday. I did. I thought I you liked you movies. I turned you down. Uh, because I do. I I do. Number double, one. Double features is what you live for. It's. I haven't done it. I, I'll tell you what. You remember? It's funny. Not before we get started. Do you remember the first? No, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Do you remember your first ever double feature? Like going to see two movies in the same day, and do you remember what it was? I know exactly what mine was. I can't think of mine off the top of my head. Mine was, and this is again all credit to Papa Williamson, who's been on the podcast before. Mine was double feature, Broken Arrow, and Executive Decision. Nice. We're talking Travolta, Slater, Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal for a little bit. Like that was the best. 90s action movie double feature I think I could think of. Speaking of action movies, not quite in the same vein, um, but similar, we are here talking about the king of the monsters. We're here talking about long live the king. We're here for Godzilla, king of the monsters. We saw that. Now, this is not our first monster movie, David. I believe... It's one of our first episodes. I think it was within the top first 10 episodes. I didn't look. I should have researched it, but I didn't. But we did a movie that was, or we did a, we did The Mummy. We did Tom Cruise, The Mummy, yep. which has not aged well. <laughs> that whole dark universe is not aged well. Um, but we Good. talked about monster movies. Mm-hmm. We talked about giant monster movies and things like that. And then we did Pacific Rim Uprising, which you and I were kind of both meh about mm-hmm. and now we're here talking about Godzilla finally you know the, the the Godzilla movie is released as as now we're doing this podcast we can talk about Godzilla for a little bit but what is your history because obviously you and I were leading up to this from in my opinion and you again correct me if I'm wrong from I think two different directions I've always been a pretty big Godzilla fan I remember watching the old Godzilla movies, and I remember watching all the different monsters that he fought and and being really into all of that. Like, oh, what's the next monster he's going to fight? Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like Batman. What's the next villain is he going to fight? You know, we know Godzilla. Godzilla's great, but who's the who's the guy he's going up against next? Who's this weird creature? What are, what are they about? And so I was super hyped for this movie, especially when I found out that they're going to be doing Monster Palooza. In this, mm-hmm. where we're going to have a ton of different kaiju, a ton of different, as they call them, titans. Mm-hmm. Um, decided to keep the kaiju term for Pacific Rim. Yep. Um, but what about you? Did you have the same kind of? I know you weren't. You seemingly in our conversation weren't as hyped as I was. But did you? Is it because you didn't have that history with no, Godzilla? I don't have a whole lot of history with Godzilla. For me, I watched the 1998 movie, and boy. That's your history, huh? It was. That's that's about it. Um, other than we had the 2014 one, that it took some some memory digging back into that. But I do remember 
it vaguely. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I don't have a whole lot of history with, with Godzilla. Did you equate Kong and Godzilla together as much as they're doing it for this? I think not so much that they're in the same universe as much as they are, you know, both monster movies from that standpoint. So for me, I didn't, I didn't equate them together. Okay. Well, they're certainly trying to do it here. I mean, I, I knew that these are all kind of in the same quote unquote franchise now with the most recent Kong. Of course. From Skull Island. I knew that. But right. as far as, you know, prior to that, really connecting Godzilla and Kong, I never really did that. Well, and I mean, honestly, nobody, nobody else did either. The, the Godzilla versus King Kong movie that came out um, way back in the day is famously terrible because, I, and again, I, I haven't watched all of the Godzilla films in recent memory. But one of the biggest things is that Godzilla and King Kong aren't even remotely the same size. This is one of that's one of my biggest things where it's like King Kong could bite Godzilla in half easily. That being said, it is no secret and no spoiler that Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers have been building up this monster verse, if you will, this cinematic universe of titans, of monsters, all tied together with the secretive organization monarch are they trying to destroy the monsters are they trying to study them are they trying to control them protect them we don't know we don't know what they're about but monarch has been sort of the overarching theme from 2014's godzilla to kong skull island which remember was set in the vietnam era to this film to kong king or godzilla king of the monsters and they make i guess well i guess that's a little bit of a spoiler so we won't get too far into that but <laughs> David, I know that sometimes you, you, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't want to say the phrase make fun of, but when I start talking about deeper meanings and metaphors and things like that, I know that you're not always on board with that you, kind you of You like stuff. to reach sometimes. I like to reach sometimes. Sure. That's fine. That being said, none of what I'm about to talk about is reaching. This is all stuff that has been documented. It's been studied. You know, it's been... Um, there's entire books educate me written about them in terms of education well it's funny you know the whole thing about Godzilla is much like horror films there are ups and downs there are it it is reactionary to the time in which the film is made right and Godzilla was originally created the original Godzilla film was Gorgita set back in in Japan and Godzilla was designed and is uh, in those specifically older films as a metaphor for atomic destruction. Japan obviously has a not great history with atomic destruction. And the original iterations of Godzilla served as that purpose. I mean, the original film wasn't meant to spin off, or it wasn't certainly wasn't designed, if you watch it again, as some great spin-off, okay, we're going to make other Godzilla movies. Godzilla dies at the end, seemingly. And it, it's all just a huge metaphor for... Atomic destruction, uh, U.S. power in the in the eyes of the Japanese, right? And then you know things. This this franchise has been going on for for, for forever. It was the first movie was set way 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 back in the fifties, I think, or the sixties. I don't remember exactly. Um, I gotta pull up all the different uh, <laughs> the different I think, movies. I know there's one in the fifties, and that was black and white. That was. Basic, you know, that that was meant to be scary. You know, 1954, when uh, 
was it Ishiro Honda made the first Godzilla. And then 55, Godzilla raids again. And then we didn't get another one till 62, which was King Kong versus Godzilla. So for those first couple of movies, again, he was built and designed as a metaphor for that atomic destruction. And then as it became, as it grew, as it became a more and more of a kaiju franchise, it became about different things. You know, we led up to the Cold War, uh, as they call it, the Showa period or the Showa period from 54 to 75. That became Godzilla versus different monsters. Um, and then during the Cold War, Godzilla became a different type of metaphor. It became more about a metaphor of Japan's, the idea of forgetting about their imperialism background, forgetting about their greatness. Um, there was a, a big part of it was about the human condition, you know, and it's sort of, you look at like, what is it? I think 89 where Godzilla faces uh, Bioliante. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but that's basically a big living plant, right? So you got metaphors about nature and whatnot. But then that kind of started getting muddied. It started getting kid-focused. There's, I mean, boom, look at me. I watched those you know, movies as a kid. What, what n new creature is he fighting? Now he's fighting aliens. He's fighting space Godzilla. He's fighting mecha Godzilla. Um, and then we'll skip over to 1998, which was the first American version of Godzilla, which is your... God, God help you, your big sort of introduction to Godzilla. And then now in 2014, even though you didn't, even though it took some, some, some joggling of the mind uh, to remember it, 2014's Godzilla was the same thing. It was essentially a commentary sort of on nuclear power. It was a commentary on the, the Fukushima um Nuclear, nuclear, excuse me, uh, reactor meltdown that happened in Japan. And it's sort of become now more about almost uh, global warming, almost nature versus humanity um, and bringing the balance of power together. And so I find that interesting because they try a little bit of that in this film, but they don't really succeed. And I just I find the whole existence of Godzilla interesting. But I did want to ask you before we get into this film, into this newest film, I wanted to ask you where you stand on the 1998 movie. It is notorious. <laughs> That's really all you need to say. It is notorious for being what it is. There's there's one main thing I take away from that film, it, which is the PDD Come With Me song. It's the thing I remember the most from the film. Um, it's a great song, too. It, it's probably the best thing that came from that movie. <laughs> which is funny because I, again... When that came out, it was 1998. We, I was excited for that movie, well, I remember. We were what? We were 12? You know, yeah. we were 11 or 12. That's boom. That's perfect. I was on board with all of the merchandise, all of the action figures, all of that stuff. Like, even though, as sitting here now as adults, we can admit like, oh, the baby Godzillas. Oh, they're just trying to do raptors. <laughs> and it's really not that thinly veiled at all. Um, I watched that again. I was on a 90s action movie run. I'm in, sorry. In the earlier this year. And it is really not good. It's not a good film. It's, it's got good elements in it. Like, again, I, I do appreciate all of the special effects. I do appreciate, even though Godzilla 
went through that total redesign, and I don't really look at him as true Godzilla, I do appreciate that film for some of its big effects stuff, for some of the stuff that it does. I will tell you that the cast, aside from Jean Renault, is garbage. It's just not good at all. And so... What? Matthew Broderick? <laughs> so if there was like... Okay, we're going to start putting Matthew Hank, Broderick. Hank Azaria? I do like Hank Azaria. I won't, uh, Hank Azaria is probably the second best part of that movie. But there are people who, in that movie whose careers started and ended in that movie. And it's just like, whatever happened to this person? Oh, nothing. It killed their career. And I find that really funny for some twisted reason. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, was, I thought it's funny. It took... I mean, that movie was so bad that Millennium was like, okay, we're going to make old school... Godzilla movies again and put the guy back in the suit. You don't get to make any more of put these the guy, movies. Put the guy in the suit and the paper buildings and all that gets... For real, because... And again, there's... Godzilla has always existed as a Japanese feature. It's almost like... I'm trying to think of a movie... Um, shit, I don't, I don't know of any good ones. But, you know, okay, Bollywood. Let's take Bollywood, for example. I know this is, seems like we're going into a left turn here. But stay with me. There are franchises, there are movies that are made in America and constantly made, and then Bollywood will make their version of it, right? Mm -hmm. And that exists for the people of India, for the people who watch Bollywood films, but like the original franchise always exists back in America. To a lesser degree, it's almost... Well, you're flipping it, though. This is a Godzilla franchise that America made. I I would say the closest thing, other reference I could say to this would be like Pokemon from the standpoint of it's more popular overseas. There's a lot more movies that have been made overseas, but every once in a while you get the American version or at least one that gets converted into an American version. Right. Exactly. And, and for some, it's become less and less converted. Yeah. Right. The original Gorgita was completely like there were new scenes filmed with Raymond Burr and a whole bullshit plot that was put in there that to make it more quote unquote American. And now these things exist. And I just, I always find it really funny to me that they are still making Godzilla movies over in Japan fairly consistently. I mean, between the shitty American and Godzilla now, they made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven live-action Godzilla movies. Well, I think there's 35 overall, right? Total, Total yeah. yeah. But it's like, oh, Godzilla disappeared between 1998 and 2014. No, he didn't. Just the Americans trying to make a Godzilla movie did. You know the other thing I really like? That I th- I found really cool. There's a someone did this artwork, and okay. I think it was originally I saw it on Facebook, but now it's all over the place. But the evolution of Godzilla's size. Mm-hmm. So they mapped out like Godzilla's height using buildings and things like that as reference points. Okay. So in 1954 he was 50 meters. Now I know you know you're an American, so you I don't am. know the metric <laughs> system. So. We'll, we'll put it in a ballpark number for you of about 150, 150 feet. 150 feet, okay. So 15 stories, you could say, about. <laughs> uh, stayed at 50 meters basically uh, through 75. Okay. Every movie, he was basically 50 meters. Okay. Then when you got to kind of the next stage in 84, he shows back up. He jumped. And he's 80 meters. Uh-huh. 89, 80 meters, 91. When we get to the 90s, he jumps all the way to 100 meters. 
So we're talking Oof. he's 300 feet tall, bigger over 300 feet tall. Bigger, yeah. And then 95, he's still 100 meters. Now we get to the most recent one in the 2000s. You start out 100, then we've got some different versions of them, reptile form, second mm-hmm. form, that kind of thing. 2014, he's 108. 2016, he's 118. And then you come to this one, King of Monsters, where he's roughly 119.8 meters They had tall. to get him just a little bit bigger than that last yeah, one. Yeah, about a meter tall, taller than the 2016 version. I would actually like for us to watch, and we probably should have done it before the podcast, but whatever. But we should have done every single Godzilla movie? No, I don't think I could do that. But the newest one, Shin Godzilla, it brings, sort of brings it back to basics. And it's unlike any Godzilla movie I've ever seen. It's where it's literally that nature versus man type thing, um, and it's nature always wins. Nature always wins. Um, <laughs> but the, Godzilla evolves in that film as well. Like he starts out, it's a completely redesigned Godzilla. He looks totally different. He looks very weird, very creepy and scary. Um, and he starts out almost like a worm, like a larva, and then he just progressively grows and grows and grows. But it's just interesting because it's so different. And it's, again, it's that commentary on nature. But let's talk about, again, we've gone through all these films. We did 1998's shitty Godzilla. And then we had Godzilla in 2014, directed by Gareth Edwards, who did Rogue One. He did Monsters. He's done a a couple of really, really good things. Really good at scale, um, in my opinion. And now we have this one, five years later, which is Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and, I mean, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what w- you and I again had very different anticipations from this movie. You thought it was going to bomb, and shit, we're not even sure if it will bomb yet. I don't think it's going to bomb on the level that you thought it was going to. But you thought it was going to bomb. It's going to be closer than what we originally thought. It is. It Projections is. had it higher, but now it's coming to closer to what I have. I feel better about my <laughs> prediction. Well, obviously, I don't wish poorly on it, but I kind of had a feeling this might not do as well as maybe we hoped. Because when we had first talked about it, we did so. We did so offline. And you thought it wasn't going to even, you thought it was going to struggle to get 20, right? And then we well, did that some was research. With, that was without perspective. Sure. We did some research because you had forgot, you had forgotten, it was five years ago, admittedly, but you had forgotten the previous Godzilla and Kong Skull Island. Sure. And they had fairly large amounts of success. The 2014 Godzilla opened in $93 million. Yep. That's, that's nothing to, you know, uh, look away from. Um, but then we put the over under at 50, I yep. think. Yep. And it is right. It's tracking right towards 50, right 55. Towards 50. So I called the over and I think you still called the under, but it is going to be very close. Um, and it's interesting, man. To me, it's really interesting because that first Godzilla came in at 93 million. Kong Skull Island came in a little bit lower. I think did 61. This one's going to be coming in a little bit lower. Granted, there's a lot of competition out there right now. But you look at a film like this and then you look at something like John Wick. Where John Wick is made on the cheap, admittedly, but it keeps making more money. You know, each movie effectively doubles what the previous one make it made. Excuse me. And with these films, they're making less. Do you think that that's a quality thing, or do you think that that's a, what do you think that is? Why do you think that these films make less, in your opinion? Because I don't see to. Uh, I don't necessarily see diminishing returns uh, in terms of creatively speaking. 
Like, for example, I think this movie is better than the 2014 Godzilla. Do I think that this movie is amazing? No. And we'll get into talking about that. But why do you think that is? Why do you think that a, f a series like John Wick or Avengers can keep making more and more money, but other people fail to replicate that? You, Warner Brothers particularly doesn't seem very good at that. Why do you think that is? Well, a couple things. I think 2014 had the benefit of we haven't had a Godzilla for a long time. So, I mean, the last Godzilla we had come in contact with was 98 from that standpoint. And so, it was bad. And it was bad. <laughs> this one, when 2014 came out, had some... It didn't have any real big names. You had like Aaron Taylor Johnson, Ken Watanabe, Elizabeth Olsen. But, sure. You know, Cranston Sally Hoggins, Cranston. One. But you had Cranston. And if you look at how they market that, they really leaned into the Cranston. Cranston was huge at that point. I mean, that was right at the end of Breaking Bad or towards the tail end mm -hmm. of Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad may have ended already. I'm not sure. Um, but it was right towards, it was like what we would call Pete Cranston, I would say. At I this would agree. Point. So you had that and he was heavily <laughs> used in teasing up those trailers. Um, there is something out there. And yeah. it's gonna, he's doing full Cranston. Yeah. And it, it looked really good. Whereas this one, it took more of like an artistic approach in it. It went with the, what's the name of the song that they used? The Claire, the, well, they did Claire de Lune. They did Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah. So you had more of the artistic approach to it. And you have a lot of, and I know we're going to talk about this more too, but you had a lot of like that guy or that girl people in here. You didn't have any like massive names that were, you know, that just put butts in the seats. But you had like a lot of people like, oh, it's the girl from Stranger Things. Oh, it's... Tyrion Lannister, or uh, Tywin Lannister. Yeah. Oh, it's, Say you know. Say long live the king of all yeah. things. <laughs> oh, it's so-and-so. Oh, it's so-and-so. So you had, oh, it's Kyle Chandler. It's uh, a <laughs> Friday Night Lights coach. I mean, by now he's well beyond that. But, right. Um, so you had a lot of, like, that guy and that girl type of people. Oh, it's O'Shea Jackson from, uh, well, Ice Cube's son or. From um, uh, Straight Outta Com Compton. Straight Outta Compton. But, so you had a lot of those people, but you didn't really have someone specific and so i think they even took that approach as this being more of an ensemble of relatively i'm not going to call them b-level actors but they're kind of borderline from that standpoint and you do it as kind of an ensemble there's nothing that teases necessarily a specific storyline like from the trailer like i couldn't tell you who the lead character is in this outside of godzilla i guess sure um and so i think that makes it a little bit more difficult also it's only been five years since we had a movie and so I don't think the trailers did – while we think they were cool trailers and look cool and all that kind of stuff, I don't know they were the ones that necessarily get people outside of Godzilla fans really sure. hyped to go see it. Like sure. you, couldn't, you couldn't identify a storyline outside of monsters fighting each other. Whereas right. with the Cranston <laughs> one, like it was set up more like a traditional – I'm not going to say horror movie, but like thriller type of movie where it's like something's coming – We've got to run. We've got to hide. You know, mm -hmm. like that kind of thing. You're more your traditional kind of storyline. So I think that's to some point. I also think, you know, if you're comparing it to like a John Wick, I mean. Only, only. John Wick has like a, at this point, has gradually built up fans. Right. Because it's done a really good job with its movie, creating the movie, the structure, the storyline. It's kept to the simple aspects of it. Sure. And something that's easy for someone to follow, easy for someone to identify with. I mean, tons of people talk like they could, you know, they could be pushed to the edge to be the next John Wick. I'd you know, like that kind of thing. I'd kill a million people if somebody killed my dog. Sure. Exactly. 
So I think that's a lot more identifiable than, you know, anytime you go to the, a fantasy world or a sci-fi world, you're going to alienate a lot of people that just say, I want to go see a monster movie. Right. This is stupid. So I, monsters. So I think that has to do with it a little bit. Also, as you mentioned, like 24, 2014's movie was solid, but it yeah. wasn't like... I can't wait for the next one type of movie. Right. Well, and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't universally acclaimed either. You know, it was a, there was a couple of the biggest issues with it were that number one, Cranston, spoiler alert for 2014's Godzilla, but that Cranston died too early and that, uh, which again made sense for the film. Or also that they didn't show enough Godzilla. You know, they kept cutting away every time Godzilla was doing stuff until the very end, um, which was dope as hell. But that's why I think the sequels that build up Uh are movies that you go and it exceeds your expectations. Sure. These sequels that go down in box office are ones where it underdelivers. I mean, I think you see that... You know, if we go to like the Transformers franchise, like uh-huh. all of them have done really well, but usually the movie that follows one that maybe wasn't as well received usually doesn't do as well. But they kind of go back to things like let's get Mark Wahlberg involved and sure. like they really push the star factor of it from that standpoint to carry what in essence is not necessarily a monster movie, but it's definitely a sci-fi-ish type of movie in sure. Transformers too. You've got alien robots and transforming things and things like that, that aren't like your traditional, like identifiable type of thing. Right. And that's, well, and see, that's the thing is when we talk about this film, I'm hard pressed to say that it under delivered. It just depends on what you're looking for, because like you said, they marketed this on action on the visuals of it. And I would argue that some of the best visuals ever of Godzilla are in this film. There are moments in this film, and when you and I were talking about it afterwards, there are three movies that this film reminds me of. They are very different movies. The first one is Roma, oddly enough, because like Roma, there are moments in this film that you could pause the film, print out that screen, and frame it, and it is art. The composition is phenomenal. The destruction on display, the way that, in my opinion... The way that they portray these different monsters, these different kaiju, is amazing. Sure. It's amazing. The special effects are amazing, you know? And the, the sci-fi world that they build is amazing. Uh, and, I, and they, to their credit, they go all in on the sci-fi in this one. They got the deoxygenator weapons, which is a tie back to the originals. We'll talk about Easter eggs and the spoilers. They have underwater civilizations. They got... Flying super, basically helicarriers. Sure. Flying super bases and whatnot. Um, And all that stuff is awesome. Yeah. Like, it's really, really cool. And then there's the humans. Yeah. And the plot, quote unquote. It's a little rough. And it's just like, it's funny to me because the humans have always been the weak point of every Godzilla film. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet they are necessary. You can't just have two hours or even 90 minutes of just Godzilla and monsters fighting. You need stop points. It's textbook storytelling. You need moments to take a breath. Do you think it would be more successful, though, if we tried to get away from having like 
a deeper human storyline. Like in this one, we won't go too much into spoilers, but there's a dynamic of Kyle Chandler's character. Um, and Vera Farmiga's character and Millie Bobby Brown. And Millie Bobby Brown, the husband, wife, daughter. Mm-hmm. And their relationship is at the center and what happened post-2014 or what happened in the 2014 incident, how it affected their family. Sure. And that's really kind of the the main, I would say, human storyline that's underlining in this and all their relationships and how these events. It's not uncommon to many movies we see is how that, that affects. Because that informs the globetrotting and the the secret organization's plots as well. That's informs upon that. It influences it. But do you think it would be better for movies like this to trap, stop trying to have like families trying to make up or like broken relationships coming back together and just focus literally on like the organization issues with like (laughs) focus on Monarch what they're trying to do, sure. focus on the bad guys, what they're trying to do, sure. focus on their struggle, and not try to like have this background human is- interest story that you're never going to give proper time to really do it right. Right. And so it's just going to annoy people that you don't do it right versus if you were just to say, you know what, we're not going to have a human interest story. Your human interest is these monsters are trying to destroy the world. Right. I don't know, man. Uh, on one hand... This movie tries to get you to care about what happens to the family. And despite the fact that everybody, I believe, in my opinion, gives a pretty solid performance. Like, everybody yeah. does pretty good work here. There's nothing where it's like, God, this person was bad. Yeah, no one no one was... I didn't find many people that I walked away and were like, oh, so-and-so is, like, way overacting. Right, or, or underacting. Or the other side, this person just is cashing a check. Sleepwalking in and stuff like that. And we've seen that in a couple of the movies this year. You know, we've pointed that out. I would argue that that's not the case here. But this film tries to get you to care about the humans, and you don't. You just don't. You care if they show you Godzilla laying on the ground and and they're playing the music and it's like, oh, is Godzilla going to get up? Come on, big guy, get up. That is what you care about, you know? I want to see Godzilla win. And so it's just a fascinating symbiotic, like this is this stuff is necessary, but it is also the worst part of it and it's not effective. So to answer your question, maybe. Maybe if they just focused on the monarch stuff as the human element and just focused on them being like running support for Godzilla, mm-hmm. maybe that would do what needs to be done, you know? Sure. But now then we would be in full-blown, like, full, full, full-blown, this movie is not about anything. This movie is we have a group of humans who are running support for Godzilla, which yeah. – Kind of happens in this movie. Well, anyways. I mean, running support as well as you've got the the without getting into spoilers, the organization that's anti the group that's running support uh-huh. um, from uh-huh. that standpoint. And so, I mean, you got some other elements that are in there. I think uh, to me, it was just unnecessary. And so, and because of that, like you can't walk away from it not being like, man, like the human side of this it's story so convoluted. is not great. It's so convoluted. It's because then so you like, then you start to, then you start to nitpick too, because you start to look at like because they're thrown so much in the center of this story and like aspects when we get into spoilers, aspects of the storyline, like where they go in Boston and things like that. Right. When you get towards the end of the movie, right? Like you've got all these things that like just re 
lead you into it's not that we don't expect unrealistic things we're watching a movie about monsters sure but like there's also times where you're like you don't need that in there because it's super unrealistic right and it's distracting from that it's distracting it's funny how you can have a movie filled with giant monsters and yet you have a plane that is the size of the spruce goose pulling out of a nail a nosedive and that's the thing where i'm like that wouldn't be able to do that (laughs) like (laughs) that statement is crazy or like there being a perfect road through all the carnage of a city that's been mass massively destroyed yet there's a perfectly straight road to drive down of boston a city of no straight roads exactly (laughs) so and that's the funny thing is like I think I can acknowledge it, and I think you can acknowledge it maybe, that it is a little insane that we have a movie that has no less than four giant monsters throwing down at various points throughout this film who are, as previously stated, hundreds of feet tall. And yet we just can't get over the fact that the physics of this plane don't work (laughs) or the geography of this street doesn't work. Like, is that too nitpicky? Or are they genuinely distracting moments, you know? I don't know. I don't don't know. To me, yes, it's nitpicky, but it's also things that are easily avoidable. Like, it doesn't... If you're truly being analytical of the film that you're creating in that, I think you can identify those types of things. And to me, at some point, it was just decided either either we're not (laughs) self-evaluating ourselves and seeing that... Or we just don't care enough. We more care about the other aspects of it. It's great, yeah. Which like, which comes through even in the human element. I would argue is that it's secondary. It is, and it feels secondary. And so that's where I think you know, as you read what people think of it and people talk about the film, most people are walking away saying it's a great monster movie. It's not a great human movie. And right. I think that's an easy way to describe it. And that's kind of how I would describe it. If I was to, you know, as we get into ratings. That's a pretty good way of describing it as well. So let's let's do it. Let's get into our popcorn ratings because there's a lot more that we can talk about in spoilers. If you've never listened to the popcorn diet before, we do ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or thumbs up, we do popcorns. We have different popcorns, starting with burnt popcorn, meaning that a movie is garbage. Don't waste your time ever, even if it's free. We have stale popcorn, which is just not great film. Like, just, we didn't enjoy it. Uh, maybe you would enjoy it if it's free, but it's it's not great at all. Um, we have microwave popcorn, which is your mileage may vary. It, it, it could go either way. Sometimes microwave popcorn can be pretty good at what it's doing, and other times microwave popcorn can be pretty embarrassing. Uh, we have movie theater popcorn, which is you should probably go see this on the big screen at some point in time. Uh, it's definitely worth a trip to the theater. And then last but certainly not least, we have perfect popcorn, which means go out and see this film as soon as possible. And for me, and eventually, David, I'm actually getting ready to officially institute the beverage half of a rating. I like it. Uh, we've been doing it on this podcast for a long time. We've never done it in the reviews that we write for the uh, for the website, but we will. I I feel as if we're not there yet, being able to officially institute it. But to me, for this film, for Godzilla: King of the Monsters, I'm at microwave popcorn and a beverage. Um, I loved every visual aspect of this movie. The monsters are amazing. The fights are amazing. The destruction is almost so big that it's incomprehensible. The soundtrack kicks ass. It's gorgeous to look at. And yet, 
all of the stuff that should be side plots is main plot stuff. All of the humans that we're supposed to care about, we don't care about them. And that's just really ineffective. And that just is at times it's like, okay, this is too ridiculous even for a movie like this. Um, that being said, if you like Godzilla, you will be hard-pressed not to enjoy this film. Like this, if you like giant monster movies, you would be hard-pressed to not enjoy this film. It's got some of the best giant monster action that's ever been committed to screen. Everybody fights everybody at some point. That kind of stuff is really badass, but the weaknesses are really, really glaring. So I give it microwave popcorn and a beverage. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat for you. And the reason I think it's at three in a soda is because I feel like it's the type of movie that if you want to go see this movie, like if this is a movie that interests you and this is a subject in a, in a type of movie that interests you, you need to see it in the theaters because I, I think you'll probably think you'll rate it even lower than what we do if the first time you watch it is at home uh-huh. on, a, on a screen <laughs> where you're not giving it all of your attention or, and you don't have the plane, best viewing or on a plane on or a on your phone, phone or on an iPad. Like you're not going to have the experience that you would have in the theater. So if this movie interests you at all, you need to go see it in the theater because I think it'll disappoint you more so than it might slightly already <laughs> if you watch it at home because you're not going to have the visual aspect that carries the lagging human aspect right. because it's not going to come off as well as what it does in the theater. Right. And so I think if you have any interest in seeing this at all, go see it in the theater. Um, if you are kind of on the fence about it and you're not really into monster movies, I would say probably skip it. If you really want to know what it's about, you can rent it. But to me, it's kind of one of those see it in theaters or probably don't watch it at all unless you're just really into this and can't get to it in theaters. I think that you brought up a really good point. And just to wrap it up before we, uh, before we go to our spoilers, it's that the things that Godzilla does really well, it does really well because you're seeing it on the biggest screen in a dark theater. And if you don't do that, then you miss a lot of what it's doing really well. So uh, we're going to definitely talk about spoilers. Very excited for that. But before we do, we got to take a quick little ad break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we get to spoilers, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by subscribing or following wherever you're listening from. Do us a favor. Take a second, just a little second. Hit subscribe, write a review, give us a rating, share with your friends, share us with your family, help spread the good word of The Popcorn Diet. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet and consider maybe giving a few dollars to the podcast because not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, in all ways, shapes, and forms, but it's also going to give you access to exclusive patron-only content. So check us out, patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at thepopcorndiet. And then last, but of course, certainly not least, you can find us, you can find us online. You can find all of our regular episodes, all of our articles, all of our reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But David, now we get to talk about spoilers for a little bit, all right? And I have a feeling that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the nitpicky shit. So before we do that, I do want to talk about the stuff that we we really liked um, and the stuff that, uh, again, in more detail, the stuff that this film does really well. And like we were saying... The monsters in this movie are just fucking cool. They're just gorgeous to look at. And you get four of the main ones. You get 
Mothra, you get Rodan, you get King Ghidorah, and you get, of course, Godzilla. And they're all, I don't know how to describe it. They're almost incomprehensibly big, you know, like Ghidorah. Ghidorah's flying around the world, and he's so massive that he's creating basically a level like six or seven hurricane around him as he flies. That's crazy. And that's really, I mean, that's cool. Um, but like the stuff in, the fight in Antarctica is really cool. The stuff in Mexico is really cool. The Boston throwdown, when they finally throw down in Boston and it's literally all four monsters just wrecking hell. That's, it's just awesome. It's just really, really cool stuff. Um, I mean, I don't even know. How, I, I mean, that's really all you can say. You know, there's Godzilla's doing badass stuff throughout this movie, bite, biting off Ghidorah's head and shit like that. The visuals are amazing. I love the score. Something we really didn't talk about before was the score by Bear McCreary pays a lot of homage to the previous themes and the previous scores throughout the franchise as well. That's a film that I think, that's something that this film has that I don't think. Um, I think 19, 1998 certainly didn't have, and that is reverence. It is very clear to me that Michael Daugherty, everybody involved with this film, respects and loves these monsters. I, I think that's pretty apparent. Yeah. Um, did you have any favorite particular moments or bits or, or, or any action beats that really worked well? Well, one of the things I appreciated about this film was a lot of times, especially ones that are really good visually, all the good moments you've seen at some point by the time you see the movie because of the trailers and the teasers and that kind of stuff. And I thought that was not true in this film in that I feel like some of its best moments they kept out of trailers. Uh -huh. um, the scene in Mexico with, uh, what is it? Uh, Rodan. Rodan, Rodan mm -hmm. um, coming Rodan. out of the volcano and some of the imagery that you get there and some of the moments there. The Antarctica stuff you don't really see in the previews. Sure. Really, what you get is a couple of moments. You know, I thought they did a really good job. You get a ton of monster action in this film. Like, yeah. I think that's the thing that sometimes people don't realize too, and maybe aren't even expecting going into this film is you do expect more human element and like less monster fights. This one, I feel like maybe you have, like, if we're going time, I think it's just over two hours, this mm -hmm. film, or maybe it's under two hours. I can't remember. Eh, it's, it's close. I think it, maybe it's an hour 45. Um, regardless, I feel like screen time is probably pretty even. If not, our two ten, two ten. Okay, so if there's 130 minutes, I feel like we get monsters on the screen for at least an hour. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're not always fighting, and they're not always fighting. No, agreed. But and, but uh, and that's another impressive thing in that like you are able to have quiet moments with Godzilla and Mothra. Like that's not easy to do. Exactly. And so to me, I think that's one of the things that makes it the most successful. That's what people come from. That's what is the best part of this film. Yeah. And they do a good job of giving you a good amount of that time, which I really appreciated. Um, so that was, you know, as far as a favorite moment, I think there's a lot of really good ones. I like the fight in Antarctica. Um, I do appreciate if we're going to one that doesn't have a ton of, you know, fighting or that kind of thing. I do like the Wananabe's uh, way out. The uh -huh. doctor's way when he revives Godzilla. Like, I do like that scene going through the tunnels and the kind of, I can't remember what they call it, but basically the old earth area, the 
space between the hollow their, earth. The hollow earth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I do like kind of that kind of stuff because I like when we build upon a world and legend and, and you kind of pay tribute or homage to all the movies because we talked about this is the 35th film. Like it's nice to see it pay back to that. It's nice to get some of the history for people like myself who aren't as into Godzilla and haven't watched a lot of the old ones. It's good to get some of that history to come out, even if it's not necessarily directly representing it, but it's, you know, taking back from some of that, you know, history that even if you hadn't seen the previous films or that kind of stuff, you could kind of catch up with what's going on. Sure. And Watanabe's character is directly referenced. His name is a direct reference to two pieces of Godzilla's past. His relationship with Godzilla is the most of somebody who's in awe, who's learning, who lives to serve. Like, he's the one who's always defending Godzilla. He's always the one who's like, no, you know, he's our protector. You know, we need to take care of him and stuff like that. And that whole that whole scene, the music in that scene, the cinematography yeah. in the scene where Watanabe's like, I'm, I'll, go, I'll go detonate the nuke to revive him. Really good stuff. Yeah. Like, really well done stuff. And allows a character to actually get close to Godzilla and actually touch Godzilla in a way that would have never worked if Godzilla was in motion. Well, and, and that's where I feel like going back to what we talked about before the spoilers is that I feel like more of that, leaning more into that human element, but it's the human element in relationship to monsters. So like, sure, you know, I was fine with Kyle Chandler and the family, like, but to me, you should have leaned more into the focus of like the loss of the kid and him evolving from wanting to kill Godzilla to supporting Godzilla and recognizing that need to work together, that they're on the same side type of thing. Like that stuff could like, work really well. That stuff could work without the distraction of like, you went off and started drinking and killing like, you, you, sure. you know, and she went and leaned into there and then decided killing half, most of the population was a good idea. And then you've got this daughter that is torn between the two of them. Like, to me, it was just unnecessarily like have them, you can have them coping in that ways, but you didn't need all that extra drama between them. Just have their relationship to the monsters because that's what this movie is about, and so and they try um, to do it too. They do. They try, like, but it doesn't connect. Like Millie Bobby Brown is standing, which we'll talk about in a second. She's standing in the middle of a ruined Fenway, and inexplicable. And these monsters are hundreds of feet tall, so I doubt, I severely doubt that when King Ghidorah rolls up. And she's looking at King Ghidorah, that Ghidorah gives a shit about her, right? Yeah. And yet Godzilla then shows up and she turns and smiles as if she has some type of connection with Godzilla. But she doesn't. No. Like, she really doesn't. Um, it's not established, especially because it's established that she hangs out with her mom. Now, it is established that she has a relationship with these monsters by the Mothra sequence, which yeah. is also really well done. But they do too much telling and not enough showing. Same thing with Kyle Chandler. His story arc is very interesting, potentially, as somebody who's like, every one of these things needs to get destroyed to, no, now we're going to back them up. And then Godzilla's fighting Ghidorah with the full support of military behind him and everything. That's rad as fuck. When he shows up and has the planes flanking him, that's cool. Yeah. But it could be so much more emotional. Well, and it would have been more effective, too. And obviously, you can't do this with this film. But had we met these characters, or at least some of them, prior to this movie. Sure. Because we kept tying back to the incident that happened in 2014. And while we had Sally Hawkins' character and Ken Watanabe's character 
we didn't have everybody else for right. the most part. And so, you know, you have this whole emotional story about them losing their son, which fine, we've done that plenty of times where someone lost it. But you have it established that back then they were involved in Monarch, but we don't really know it. And we kind of fast forward through it and just you're left to assume some of that sure. kind of stuff. And so that's where I think some of the issues pop up. Um, but overall, I mean, like I said, I think what's successful is is the relationship of humans to the monsters, the relationships between each other, not as effective. Like when you go to Boston and we got the whole thing, like I feel like we've seen this in many movies, like where would she go? Where would she go in Boston? Home. Like when, oh, she's going to go home. And, what? You know, like just that whole aspect. I could get into the geography issues that we have throughout this film as well. There are a couple. There's a lot. Um, Sedona. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of issues. Apparently, there's oil fields in Sedona now. Uh, but besides that, again, that's why I feel like you lean more into the monster stuff, get away from the human-on-human interest and that kind of stuff, and I think it works a little bit better. Exactly. You know, um, I mean, and again, you know, most of these characters, they're, they're fine, but they're just, you know, you talk like, okay, we talked about Kyle Chandler, Kyle Chandler. We talked about Vera Famiga, Millie Bobby Brown. They're good. They're fine. Um we talked about Watanabe. He's great. Everyone else is just like, eh. Like Sally Hawkins dies in this film. Academy Award nominee Sally Hawkins is in this movie. She dies. She's used very little in this She's film. She's used very little, and she just goes out like a punk. Like Ghidorah bites, like eats her. I would say next, the, the two most memorable other than the ones that we've talked about would be Bradley Whitford, who Hell plays, yeah. who's great in this film. He's Bradley Whitford, um, from he's, that standpoint. He's like drunk, sarcastic Dr. Bradley Whitford. I told you this after after the film. I really wish they would have brought Richard Jenkins in and just had <laughs> those two basically play their characters from Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> in just there. sitting in there pressing yeah. buttons. <laughs> yeah. I would have I would have loved that. Uh, because he plays a similar type of character in that he's kind of like the techie person behind the scenes, that kind of thing. Um, never right. really gets out there. I, I thought O'Shea Jackson played that. I'm going to say like almost like Tyrese role of like the soldier who gets some like one liners here and there and right. like is used to be like the face of like the military aspect sure, of this. Sure. He gets to be the guy who yells, there's no way this is happening. Like multiple. You need yeah, one of exactly. those guys. You need a regular He's guy. He's got like a woo or something like that at some point, you know, like, woo! The woo, you know, like. <laughs> Okay, O'Shea. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he gets those moments. And good for O'Shea. I mean, that's, you know, continued progress for him. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the nitpicky stuff, though. Like, I do want to nitpick for a little bit because it's just so fun. Um, we had a couple of large nitpicks throughout the film. Obviously, we talked about the fact that, that there is seemingly a car chase. Like, Ghidorah is chasing a... It's a little Godzilla 1998, if I'm being completely honest. (laughs) And that King Ghidorah, this 500-foot-tall monster, is chasing a single Humvee, which admittedly has a device that is supposed to lure it. Yeah, I'll Mm -hmm. give it that much. Mm -hmm. Driving through a destroyed Boston down a straight road. Yeah, somehow driving, like, you would imagine if you're going to outrun Ghidorah, which you can't, and I think they obviously knew that when they got in the car. Right. Even if you put, if you drive at full speed, so we're talking at least 100 miles, through Boston that's been leveled, like, your car's wrecked in no time. I don't in care five if it, seconds. I don't care if it's a military Humvee. 
you're popping a tire, you're right. blowing an axle, you're doing something. Like you're not making it through. You just there. won't have a straight road. There are no straight roads in Boston. No. They don't exist. No, the straight roads are bridges, and bridges would have collapsed. This movie was made in Quebec and Georgia, and filmed across other areas, but sure. it was clearly not made in Boston because the geography wouldn't have worked. And there are other the only shots. thing filmed in there maybe Fen- is Fenway. Yeah, exactly. They shot Fenway. They shot Fenway. Um, but then there's another shot when the when the different Titans are waking up, and I found a list of all of the Titans' names. They actually have a release list that I I don't think I could pronounce most um, of them. I'm excited for this. Um, and there's a shot of like the this armor this 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 army convoy driving through an oil field, and then it says Sedona, Arizona, <laughs> and I'm here. I'm telling you, Hollywood. If anyone here is listening to Hollywood, just come to Arizona for like a second. Even uh, what was it? Sicario did this. Sicario <laughs> opened in Chandler, Arizona, and I we live we are podcasting from Chandler, Arizona, and it was like this desolate desert with like a single cul-de-sac of houses. And that's where I get into like it's just lazy filmmaking to me. Like, and it's easy for me to nitpick and be the armchair quarterback and you know <laughs> second guess decisions, but like I just don't see how it would take much work to. Like in the Sicario example, make it like Globe or something like that. Right. Like somewhere that Why is if this anybody Chandler? who's been to Arizona would be able to say what that area looks like. You don't have to actually go there and film there, but at least make its tie back to something that actually looks like it. And why do we have to do Sedona? Why don't you do El Paso, Texas, if you want oil fields in there or something like that? Because it looked a lot like El Paso, Texas. I don't know. There's other stuff too, like... My favorite one, David, was you and I were talking about this. Is a big part of this movie is hinged around the fact that they've created technology to help control, or lure, or whatever, communicate with these titans with the kaiju. They call it the orca. Yeah, it's it's basically the MacGuffin of this film that yep. everybody's trying to get. It changes hands multiple times, and it's basically what is being pursued. Like, you'd think it was monsters that are being pursued in this film, but it's nope. actually the Orca throughout the whole right. film. It's Orca and Ghidorah in a way, but there's a moment but where... No, they can't go face Ghidorah without the Orca. Without the so. Orca. There's a moment where they're in this bunker in the hills of Boston, which I didn't know was a fucking thing, but they're... Especially walkable to Fenway. There's, there's walkable hills, apparently, and when I say hills, I'm talking mountains, and all of the bad guys, these eco-terrorists are there, because the eco-terrorists, they want to rise, uh, they want to raise these titans to equal the playing field on the earth, you know, and there's conversations to be had about... You know, humans, destruction of Earth, and blah, blah, blah. That that could be fairly interesting. But they have their entire bad guy crew. And Vera Farmiga, who is, dis- who is revealed to be working with them. And Millie Bobby Brown, who is at that point in the film established to be an unruly teen who does not fall in line with their plan. Yeah, right? she doesn't believe in the plan that... Right. And they, she thinks they're monsters for wanting to kill everybody. Right, but she's yada, Vera Farmiga's daughter, blah, blah, blah. So there's a point in the film where literally they just show everybody walking out of the room and leaving the orca there. This most valuable piece of equipment that, that can control monsters. They just leave it. Nobody's watching it. Nobody's guarding it. And Millie Bobby Brown, who is also not being watched or guarded, comes in, steals this machine, and then manages to backpack it to Fenway. Literally walks out of what is supposed to be a hidden bunker. Right. Again, if you want me to make the leap of faith that everybody left the room, okay, maybe they're comfortable. You know, they've got, you know, 
men and women Everyone's guarding. On our team here. Everybody, everything's guarded. We're all on the same team. We're not thinking about the teenager that's in the room. Sure. Because even if they get it, we'll be able to I can, stop them. I can, I, can, buy I, can, I can buy that. But then you're going to get out of this arm bunker <laughs> with this device as well. And no one's going to come back until you've already pretty much made it to Fenway. Which is at, at this le- point. What, an hour? <laughs> According to. Well. Based off of where they put this bunker, somehow in the middle of a some mountain range in the near Boston, um, apparently it's only a couple blocks. But she gets if you've Fenway. been to Boston, there's nothing like this anywhere close. And not only does she get to Fenway, but then she knows how to get into the broadcast booth of Fenway, which is up and running. Immediately knows how to turn on the sound, everything else. And broadcasts the signal. Yeah. And, and then I also have issue with when... When uh, Ghidorah shows up, yeah. one of the big things that happens when Ghidorah's around is electricity goes out. Right. Yet somehow sound system's working perfectly it's running at the on, It's running on even after Even after Ghidorah starts smashing the stadium apart, sound system's still working just fine. And then she, inex- and Ghidorah, like you said, Ghidorah's 500 feet tall and blows not fire, but electricity out of its three heads and could literally decimate Fenway with a breath. And yet somehow she's able to run away from that destruction. Not only run away, but then just like chill outside as the two of them fight. Right. And nothing happens. That's the other problem I have with this film is that as much as I love the destruction, it's almost too big to comprehend. Um, And the other two films, I mentioned Roma before, the other two films that I was reminded of are on the other end of the spectrum. And you had mentioned Transformers The Last Night and Independence Day Resurgence. The reason I was reminded of those films is because... Not two movies you want to be comparing. No, it's not great. This is not a great comparison for for Godzilla. It's bad look. Bad look for my big guy. Right. But those movies had to scenes of destruction like last the last night literally ripped the earth chunks of the earth off. Right. Like not insignificant chunks of the earth's crust as two planets were merging together. Meanwhile, the human characters are like doing their action shit in the middle of it. Same is true of Independence Day. They come in, the aliens come in with a new weapon that like. I don't remember. It was like an anti-gravity weapon that basically folds a city on itself. Right. It's and, and, and yet we are meant to believe that these characters can come in here with a Humvee or with a plane or a helicopter and stand in the middle of these two kaiju throwing down and survive. And well, I then just, four kaiju, too. At, yeah, <laughs> by that time, there's four. And I just, these people should be dead dozens of times over. It's True. just... There's, and, and, you know, the thing is, is those things can be changed. That is something that can be changed just by moving the human action just a little bit further away. Sure. You know? Well, and if, some space. Well, and I think if there's one takeaway, too, if we could, you know, lend our, you know, constructive criticism to the uh, organization that is Monarch, yeah. maybe, maybe we want to beef up security a little bit on our, on our bunkers. On our because many outposts. Multiple times our outposts were taken pretty much with no resistance. No. Like. One chopper of maybe a dozen people was able to take bunker after bunker. Like three bunkers we saw go down. Yeah. You guys- so maybe we want to add a little security if we're guarding Titans <laughs> that, if they wake up, could potentially destroy the whole world. I mean, maybe you 
put a couple more guards. In their defense, they are a privately run organization that was not folded yet into the military. Well, but on the other hand, <laughs> if you have enough money to create the technology and hide Titans and build bunkers in the first place, I think there's some some hired gun, a few more hired guns that you uh, can get. Probably, probably. So I found this list of all of the different monsters. In this film, they say that they find 17 monsters and counting. There are 17 Titans and counting, right? Which is okay. super interesting because who knows what... I mean, obviously, they're going to do Kong. Kong is one of them. Um, but we have Godzilla. We have Mothra. We have Rodan, and we have King Ghidorah, right? I also like how they established that King Ghidorah isn't part of the natural order. He's from space, and that's why he's fucking everything up. I like that. That's a good touch. Include that. But we have other ones as well. We see another Muto. There was the first Godzilla in 2014, had Godzilla going up against two Mutos. We see another one here. Um, there's one that is called Behemoth, which is the... Basically, woolly mammoth looking one. Uh, there's another one called Skilla or Skyla, I believe. And that's the one that looks like a crab spider thing. Um, and then the last one that you actually see on screen is Methuselah, which is the monster, uh, the, uh, the mountain that basically rises up and you see its head. Did you reference the one that's like the mammoth? Did I black out? That's, yeah, that you one? blacked yeah. out. That okay. one is Behemoth. Okay. That gotcha. one is Behemoth. And then there are eight other titans that are, or several other that are seen on computer screens whose names I am going to have a very hard time pronouncing, but there's Baphomet, there's Tiamat, Typhoon, uh, Abaddon, Leviathan, Sargon, Bunyip. Um, there's another one that's Mokele Mbembe, which is apparently named for undiscovered cryptids, which are sometimes sought by real-world monster hunters. So there's like little real-world Easter eggs in there as well. And then, of course, the last one is King Kong, and that's what this all sets up to be is Godzilla vs. Kong is coming out next year. Odds are we're going to get a trailer for it before the year is up. Yeah, well, I think it's cool. In the credits, you get all the quote-unquote news clippings from posts everything that just happened which right. the news apparently gets up and running very quickly despite every major metropolis seemingly well, to the be Boston Globe maybe and, not so much maybe <laughs> um, but you start to get things of like the recovery <laughs> efforts but then you get the leaks of like weird things happening on Skull Island and yep. yada 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 and then we get the end uh, I don't know if you'd call it a stinger but at the yeah. end credits um, we see, I'm just going to keep calling him Tywin, Tywin Lannister, basically purchasing one of the heads of Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Yes. And so obviously there's people thinking maybe we're going to get a mech Ghidorah. Maybe. How's it going to play into Kong? All that good stuff. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, at this point they're committed. It doesn't look like this film's going to do Great. It's not going to make a billion dollars. It's like two hundred. It's like two hundred million dollar budget, and it's definitely not. Two hundred is going to be tough for it to get domestically. Sure. It depends what it does internationally. It's it could it's, pull it's only out in Chi it's in China and a couple smaller countries, and it's not doing fantastic. Sure. It's got twelve million so far this weekend, um, but you would expect Japan would be its biggest non U.S market from mm -hmm. that standpoint but we'll see it'll be interesting i predict because they did there is a um there is a uh shit what's it called the promo poster already out godzilla versus kong 
And the tagline is one will fall, right? I call bullshit. I bet you it's going to be a lot like the Avengers where they're going to spend the first half of the film fighting and then they're going to have to tag team up again against a, a Mecha Ghidorah or something like that. That would be pretty rad. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, I will be there. I'm still going to be there for monster action. For Godzilla film, for Godzilla fans, this is one of, this is, there's certainly a lot of fulfilling aspects about this film, but there's also a lot of things that are, uh, leave, leave, <laughs> leave the audience wanting. Um, but before we wrap up, I want to remind everybody one more time that you can get regular episodes of the popcorn diet delivered to you for free on your smart device. Hit that subscribe button, follow wherever you're listening from, whether it be SoundCloud, we're also on, uh, we're on iTunes, Apple podcasts, we're on Google play, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us. So whatever you use, look for the popcorn diet and subscribe. Don't forget, give us a rating, give us a thumbs up, give us a review. Also, don't forget we're on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Maybe throw a few bucks our way. You're going to get access to patron-only episodes and content. You'll get early ad-free access to episodes as well. And you'll also be helping us improve the podcast. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the popcorn diet. And then last but certainly not least, don't forget to check out our website for all of our regular episodes, articles, reviews, and more. That's popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we will see you next time with another good movie on a popcorn diet. Adios.